You're listening to the Per Service Podcast, episode number three. Hello and welcome to the Per Service Podcast. This is the place for authentic conversations with musicians in the performing arts. Too many musicians go through the difficult and demanding grind of music school or years of lessons and find out, hmm, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like, or think, why didn't anyone tell me frankly about what being a musician was really like? Well, that's why we're here. That, and because we like to geek out about those musician documentaries and other really nerdy stuff too. The term per service is typically how we measure how good a gig is because we'd say a gig pays maybe $55 per service. Hey, I've been there. Where each rehearsal or concert is a service. but. Money doesn't have to be the only way to measure how good a gig is. It could be worthwhile because the conductor is awesome, or because there's this great barbecue joint across the street from the hall, or for many other reasons that just simply don't get counted for in the rate per service. But also because a lot of us are taking this one day at a time, one service at a time. Maybe you live for the gig, or maybe the lifestyle allows you to enjoy other things in life. Today's topic is things I learned in the real world, because many of us find that we just didn't learn everything we needed to know while we were in school, and maybe it's not the school's job to cover all these things. We'll introduce ourselves more in depth in the next episode, but your hosts are Anna Luce. She's just a small town girl living in a lonely world, if you call New York City small or lonely. Michael O'Giblin, that's me, born and raised in Northwest Detroit. Christian Marshall, he took a midnight train going anywhere, but I mean mostly just to Austria. And Jess Wiersma, a singer in a smoky room, the smell of wine and cheap perfume. You know, okay, I'm just gonna stop right here and uh, start the conversation. I'll be back at the end of the conversation though to fill in any gaps. You can follow along at perservice.co forward slash three. So let's get to it. Oh, that's okay. I was just thinking, because um, one of the topics we're talking about today is what have we learned in the real world oh, that we did not learn? World. What did we learn in the real world? Real I world. always wanted to apply for that show. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, it I ruled know, I the world. Should, like, it MTV rule. Oh, it was like well, I mean, it maybe there were more like there were reality TV shows before that. I feel like that was one of the first. It was it so ahead of its time. And road rules. Road, road rules. Like, oh my god, those were both like the beginning. Survivor. No, Survivor <laughs> no, was even that after was like, that. Uh, no, the real world. The I wasn't allowed to watch it. I well, know we that didn't was, have cable. That was so the thing. I had to I, watch it summer when I was at band camp instead of practice. I know there was this definitely Absolutely. growing up in sort of Christian subculture land. It was, you know, we weren't really supposed to be watching MTV, and so there was always this kind of like thrill and rush of watching the real world. Bob's <laughs> <laughs> coming in. Quick, I know. Channel. Oh yeah, I was. And Christian with the real thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, no. So, uh, yeah, the real world. The real what world. In the real. World. Yeah. Um, this is no. This is something actually really personal that I've I've been thinking a lot about recently. Mm-hmm. In uh, many aspects in my life, I'm simply a late bloomer. <laughs> okay, Please, all no. of your faces were really awkward by that. Let me rephrase that. No. Um, no, no, say no. I no. I went to I went to a university for my undergrad, which was so well organized mm-hmm. that 
I never had to worry about learning how to make a decision because so many things were already lined up for me. Hmm. You know, what courses you would take, yep. what you could do. You know, like I never really had to to learn how to plan things for myself and how hmm. to really make decisions. Wow. And so being in that sort of, not incubator, but sort of just like very caring environment, it didn't, mm-hmm. yeah, that wasn't really conducive for me learning that aspect about myself. And so I think the real world has really taught me how to make these decisions, why I'm going to practice, what I'm going to practice for, how I'm going to yeah. divide my time, allocate it. Like I just think that's, um, that's something I'm learning more and more every day. I feel like school sort of does that. It's, it's just, they put you on this track, you fit this mold, and so we're going to usher you along the track and push push you out into the real world, and you're supposed to do this predefined what we think a violist in the world looks like. Right. And did you find, like, did you actually end up kind of continuing on that track? Or, like, did things change and you change your mind and realize, oh, I didn't really like what I studied? Or Well, yeah, I think... What happened is I came away from undergrad knowing a lot of things that, I mean, really honestly have zero to do <laughs> with how well I play viola and yeah. how you play viola. And I think that's something I... See, part of me says I would have done it differently if I would have known that now. Like if I could yeah. you know, take myself now and just go back to undergrad, then I would want to go to some, go somewhere else. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for what I know now and I'm grateful the, for the things that I do. So yeah. maybe I don't need to change it. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Um, having gone to university for undergrad and grad school. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting because I've spent, you know, growing up, like I went to Peabody Prep and was kind of groomed by a specific type of teacher and like environment that was definitely a good one and very inspirational. But when it came down to brass tacks and there were there was hardly any scholarship available at the schools I really wanted to go to, yeah. um, it was really hard for me to make the decision to go to university when I felt like I wasn't going to make it if I didn't go to conservatory. I've always carried that with me. But like Krishna was saying, you know, and I'm not saying conservatories are not organized, um, but I do think that there's a little more like ebb and flow with like schedule and mm-hmm. I don't know from from what I've gathered from my friends because obviously I haven't experienced it personally. But, yeah. you know, the experience I had at university was irreplaceable in a lot of ways. But I think no matter where you go to school, there are just things that most teachers are not going to tell you. And even now I found in um, like I just turned 30 and. I found that a lot of teachers are like, oh, well, how did like, how did you get to this place? And mm-hmm. how are you, how do you have a real job? And they're like, oh, just, you'll, you'll be fine. That's not real life advice, just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> you'll be fine. You'll be fine. What does that mean? And how do I get to where you uh, are? <laughs> you know? Well, so that's how, how I started to approach this was that I think it's like, unless you are in the like one or 2% of people that, you know, as soon as you get out of school, boom, you're going to get a job. You're going to win an orchestra position. You're going to start your solo career. You're probably like the majority of people are going to spend a bit, a bit of time sort of in this freelancing world or trying to figure out what it is you really want to do or trying to either make money or 
hold down a part-time job while you're playing gigs or something. And that's kind of this like school of hard knocks where I think you really learn a lot of stuff that there's just, no, I don't think there's time in, in school or it's just maybe not comprehensive enough to, to learn all these, you know, ins and outs of what do I do in this situation? Well, and I think it's a little tricky too. I mean, I totally agree with what you say, Anna, when teachers are like, you'll be fine. You're going to, you know, I mean, it's tricky because you, you need teachers that are encouraging, you know, and that are like there to like help you out. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're giving you the quote unquote <laughs> real answer. You know, I, cause I grew up in um, Chicago area and it's, you know, it's a big city and there are tons of music schools and, you know, the Chicago Symphony of the Lyric Opera, like there's tons of mm-hmm. opportunity to see literally world-class musicians playing. And so I do think when I was growing up, I had a tiny advantage in the sense that I always knew I was not the best player. However, I didn't think I was like the worst either, but I kind of always knew like, wow, like look at those people in Chicago symphony. Like they're amazing. Or even in other, you know, even people within my music school, like some of the older kids, Mm -hmm. wow, like really amazing players. And then when I got to college, it was really interesting to me to see some of the people not, I mean, in my studio, but also just in other studios in the, in the conservatory, like kind of go through a meltdown during their freshman year, because all of a sudden they were in a place where they were not the best player oh, yeah. or where they were finally being told, like, we need to work on this aspect of your technique or this about your playing is not awesome. We need to work on that and how that was like really mm-hmm difficult for them because so first like their whole life they had always been the best in their school or they had always been told they mm, were the they were the top you know but most of them were from smaller towns so they had smaller yeah competition um, yeah but yeah i look at like where i was at you know 18 you know old and wise at 18 going to school and i definitely didn't think this is what i would be doing right now i always thought you know i always knew i'd have to pay my dues but i thought my dues would be over <laughs> By like 27, I thought mm-hmm. by 27, I'd be, uh, you know, good to go. Um, Did anyone actually tell any of you, you should be prepared for a life of freelancing? No, definitely school? not. No, you know, my teacher in my yeah. teachers in high school, they did, they were really awesome. And they did sit me down at one point and they were like, if you want to do this, we will totally help you and support you and encourage you. But like, you need to understand that this is going to be really hard. That's great. Cause no However, one told you that. Well, <laughs> you know, it is great. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> However, like, I do think there is also a point where like, I don't, I didn't know exactly what that meant at the age of 16. Yeah. 16 being 30 is old. Yeah. And that's like, you know, 14 years away. So surely in 14 years, you're going to go to school and you're going to win a job. Yeah. Like 14 years is a long time. So I do think that there is an element of just like you cannot understand Mm -hmm. what it all means when you're that age. But like they definitely told me it's really difficult. But no, they never said be ready to freelance until you're 50. (laughs) Like, I mean, that was not anything they ever said. And also we need to remember too, like these teachers, they're not really in that freelance scene and they aren't really taking auditions. The majority, not all of them, but the majority. And so like they have knowledge of that field, but they don't have as much personal experience in it. Yeah. And maybe they didn't go through the same, I mean, they didn't have the same track or when they got out of school, maybe they got their teaching job 
relatively quickly or I don't know. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of tracks or possibility. Yeah. And like my teachers in high school, like he played, um, he played in some symphonies for a while and then decided to do teaching full time. Cause that's what he enjoyed more. And he was really excellent at that. Mm-hmm. So while he had gotten a job, like he left that for something else, totally his own decision. But like, that world has also changed from the time he was in it to the time now we're trying to do it. So mm-hmm. there's all that kind of stuff in it too. Did people ever say this like, uh, if there's something else you love doing more like the music, you should do that. Did you guys ever hear that like legitimately? Yes. No. No. Okay. Because that's, I feel like that's, that's sort of this kind of idea that I know exactly the path that you're going to be on. And like, this is because it was hard for me, it's therefore going to be hard for you, which sometimes is true, but sometimes it's not. I think it'd be nice if a teacher told you, oh, you are going to be fine because I can tell you with exact certainty that you have what it takes and you're going to land a job. You're going to meet this uh, really influential and rich person at a gig and they're going to hire you to be their (laughs) personal (laughs) recitalist or something, you know, (laughs) or some, you know. But there's there's no way there's no way to know that for sure. And I definitely had teachers tell me that. So I was like, oh, oh, great. seriously, you I'm people th- tell you you're going to be somebody's private recital. <laughs> no, but I did have teachers tell me. Is that me, even a word? I don't know if that's the word. Like, you know, when, patron, first of all, <laughs> as a teenager, all you want is affirmation that you can mm. make it as a musician. Sure. And so yeah. a couple of teachers sat me down and were like, you know, along the throughout the years and like, you've got what it takes. Don't mm. worry. And here's the thing. Some pe- some teachers like have an inkling for that, know that you can technically, quote unquote, make it. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But then I think we all know that there are some teachers who probably have no idea and either say that or, you know, <laughs> should be saying, actually, you're not going to make it. Like, <laughs> so I think that I think and like you said, like the times change from 20 years ago when they were doing it. And now. Right. It'll be the same for us when we have students someday who we're trying to guide. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just think that it would have been helpful, and maybe this can be applicable to the future, for parents of musicians when they're teenagers. I think it would be more valuable for them to really understand the inner workings of what it is to become a musician. Because I think my parents didn't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, of course, it's not the easiest thing to be like, oh, yeah, just find a teacher who really knows and whatever. <laughs> So there's so many like moving yeah. parts, but absolutely, just scratch all that. It's <laughs> that terrible. No, 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 it, no. It's really true though that it's. I think there are so many moving parts, and how it was 20 years ago, and how a lot of the programs are designed, or like the expectations of what it is to be like to get out in the real world and to get a job, might not be the dream job that it used to be like 20 years ago, like is having one full-time like position with an orchestra, the absolute end all be all like maybe it's not, you know, it used to be this just like benchmark and like the definition of stability and with orchestras, you know, there's Minnesota, Philadelphia, Detroit, all these orchestras that maybe have a year where they're locked out or they're on strike and, and, and musicians are all of a sudden having to freelance and play in Fort Wayne and Toledo. And it's it's not what it used to be. And there sometimes is more stability in having multiple 
jobs where if one takes a major devastating hit, you still have, you know, four other orchestras that you play with regularly. Oh, no, I was just going to say, even if you have that full time job, like with Indianapolis Symphony, Atlanta, Memphis Symphony, like these people who are 10 year players, they have contracts, they have taken huge pay cuts, you know, like, so it's not, even if they're not like shutting out and shutting down, you're taking sometimes a huge pay cut. And you know, a lot of that is like with the economy stuff, with poor money management from the organization itself. So like, that's not stuff you can plan for, you know? So like, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I know it's like that in other jobs too, but yeah. Musicians who are already usually underpaid and then you take a more Yeah. <laughs> and then you take a pay cut. That's huge, you know? Yeah. All right, Christian, that kinda got the ball rolling there for sure. Does does anybody else have uh, another big topic they think they learned in the in the real world that they didn't necessarily learn in school? This might kind of piggyback off of what Christian was saying about how he because of the way his um, school was set up, like he didn't really have to make a ton of decisions or whatever. I think that for the most part, when you go to music school, whether it be at a university or a conservatory, you usually are having, you're picking the school based on the teacher you're going to study with, right? Yeah. You have this like built-in respect for them. You have, you know, you pick them because you're working well with them or you think they're a really good player or whatever, or good teacher. But I think what we a lot of times as students don't do is we don't think for ourselves mm-hmm. when in terms of like we just do whatever the teacher tells us to. Now, I'm not advocating that you don't do what your teacher tells you to do mm-hmm. because a lot of times I've actually had people that are like, yeah, I like just, you know, this teacher told me for years to practice this way and I never did and I tried my own way and now five years later I tried their way and it works. So like, you know, okay, I'm not saying to not like, but I do think you do still need to think for yourself. (laughs) And I, I I don't know, like personally, when I started undergrad, my studio kind of had this, it was a great studio in some ways. And then in other ways, it was maybe not the healthiest environment because we kind of just, man, I mean, we just wanted him, our professor to make all the decisions. Like, what does he think about this? What does he think about that? And like, what would... You know, that was back in the day when uh, when WWJD, What Would Jesus Do, had been a big thing. And we kind of changed that to be What Would, mm-hmm. or I won't say his name. And do. I wasn't yeah. in his studio, but because of a summer festival, all of <laughs> the students that studied with the same teacher yeah. made bracelets. Yes. So, I mean, like, it was maybe a <laughs> wow. little unhealthy. Now, that was before my time. I did not wear a bracelet. Yeah. But my point is, then when I, yes, then when I got out of undergrad like there was literal fear struck in my heart because it was like I was not working with this person anymore and like I will never make it now because and you know that's just like not true like yeah I had to learn to think for myself then and like analyze my own playing and like oh here's a different way to practice this that for me actually works better or like wow I have never been able to play this passage in tune and now I just got a new fingering from a teacher at like a summer festival. And now I can actually play it in tune. Yeah. So like his fingering didn't work for me. And that's so fine. But like we weren't really supposed to think that way when we were working with him because he knew everything. He, yeah, he was the absolute. So like, like that answer. kind of stuff. And I mean, that's on like small scale. And then that can reach to big scale, like changing a fingering. Like, oh, man, I can't do that. This is what he uh-huh. gave me now. That's like pretty small scale stuff. But like 
then it can move to like bigger stuff about your person, your physical, your physical playing, your physical setup. Yeah. I don't know. So I just think that there isn't, while you shouldn't question your teachers all the time and like you should definitely heed their advice, there is also an element necessary to think for yourself and learn how to do some analysis on your own that I think is not necessarily always taught and sometimes is looked down upon. Oh, yeah. And I think nothing reveals that faster than if you go and play like the same repertoire for a different teacher and all of a sudden you get these like conflicting you know, even this note should be long. This note should be short. Like you're just like, well, how could it be both? Yes. Because <laughs> you, you've <laughs> never thought that, oh, maybe there's another way that this could be done. Or, right. you know, especially if you're playing Bach, there's like, you know, people want it a million different ways. And none of them are right. If you play the same move in a Bach for five different people, none of them will ever be happy with the way you play it. You'll, you'll, so like, yeah. it, it's interesting to think about the way, you know, you inherit musical ideas from your teacher or you inherit musical tradition. Uh-huh. You know, you can say like, oh, well, I'm in this school because my teacher studied with this person who studied with this person who studied with flesh. The pedigree. Or this person or this. Exactly. You know, you have this musical family tree. But what also happens, I think, you know, subconsciously is that we inherit standards. We inherit thoughts of what the teacher counts as success. So we start thinking if I've made it into this orchestra, mm-hmm you know, then I've made it, then I'm successful. Or if I've done, if I've accomplished this or attended this festival, Uh I'm successful. And I think one of the greatest things that I've learned and I'm still learning in the real world is to say, I'm the one who defines my success because this is enough for me. Uh. Having played with this orchestra is enough. Being able to say, I don't want to take this gig because simply because I don't want to. That's success. Man. To To say, I am able you know, to decide, this is just personal, I'm able to decide when I wake up and when I have breakfast and when I pick up my viola and when I check my emails, this for me is success. And I am grateful for that. And I think as long as you can accept that yourself and you define your own standards of what it means to make it as a musician, then then you're free to decide, okay, now it's time for me to apply everything I've learned from music school. Hmm. Bring in the truth, man. Truth bomb. We like to say truth Brahms instead of truth bombs because if you listen to some of Brahms music, there's a lot of truth in that. So truth Brahms. Also, I had a professor in undergrad who used to stand at the corner. Not not doing that. Sorry, let me rephrase. No, not 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 not. Oh, but he used to stand at the circle in town on the weekends and hold a sign that said Brahms. Not bombs. This is during the, Get um, out. the years Absolutely. of 2005 to 2007. Brahms, um, not no bombs. Died. You know, Clinton lied. That was my favorite <laughs> music. Sorry, music say that theory. again. Professor's button. No one died when Clinton lied. Oh my gosh! Wow, I Amazing. think a, no a devastating no moment foul. for me in college, or not devastating, but just like life-altering, mm-hmm. was when my sweet little like 70-something theory professor was out with all of the crazy college students protesting the war and his like Mr. Rogers get up and I was like uh oh like I don't know how to feel anymore because <laughs> you're all these crazy people and then yeah. Dr. Who somebody I won't name his name yeah. I loved him he was like a grandpa but Brahms not bombs is um I love that I, I pass him every day we we would uh get bagels every Saturday morning and we always tried to hide because we usually didn't we didn't always attend his classes regularly as so we should have. <laughs> 
Sorry. Oh, speaking of Mr. Oh. Rogers, I, I went to, uh, <clears throat> he lived on the campus where I went to Carnegie Mellon. <gasps> and what? of course he, he passed away before I was in school there, but he used to, he lived on the campus and used to walk across campus to record the Mr. No Rogers idea. neighborhood. Yeah. So there, there's a oh lot of God. lore of Mr. Rogers in the oh, Pittsburgh yeah. area. I hate to interrupt the show, but we're going to take a quick second and hear a word from our sponsors. The Per Service Podcast is made possible by orchestraexcerpts.com. If you're preparing for an audition, orchestraexcerpts.com makes it easy for any instrumentalist to listen to multiple recordings of excerpts and follow along with the sheet music on screen in one convenient place. Whether it's for a summer festival, a youth orchestra, or your school's orchestra seating audition, or for the New York Philharmonic, you can find and listen to those excerpts at orchestraexcerpts.com. And we'd also like to thank the Masterworks Festival. The Masterworks Festival is a four-week performing arts camp with a spiritual emphasis for orchestra, chamber music, and intensive study. This festival is actually where the four of us all met many years ago and became good friends. The 2016 Summer Festival is taking place this year at Cedarville College in Ohio. You can learn more at masterworksfestival.org. Now let's get back to it. But that was, uh, I got a good one. This is when you're in school and you just think, I'm just going to get this orchestra job. The way that I get work comes from either winning the audition or from impressing the personnel manager or the conductor or maybe the concertmaster. Like these are the avenues that work comes from. And I think one of the biggest things I realized in the real world and being out playing gigs, weddings, recording sessions is that work, yes, occasionally comes from those avenues, but it comes from the people around you. It comes from you're sitting with your stand partner or your friends, or being a nice person and getting along with. And it's often just like, just spur of the moment things that they, they see you and you're having a good conversation and they say, oh, you know, I got this. I'm trying to find somebody else for this gig that I got to play this weekend. Or it's often just the last person that they had on their mind that you just saw them and, and then they go home and realize, oh, I can't, I'm double booked and I need to find a replacement for myself. Who should I, who can I call? And so it's, it's just, you know, your friend. And so, that was just this big mind shift that I had to make was that it's not about, you know, you can't be an ass to your stand partner because they're sitting too close to the stand or something <laughs> because they are, they play a very integral part in your success because they make recommendations or they refer you to somebody else when they can't play a gig. I don't know. It was just, instead of seeing it always as this top down way to find work, it was, it was very much more, I don't know, not call it grassroots, but looking around No, I think you. that's really, really good point. Although added to that, like if you don't play well in that gig, they're not going to recommend you for anything else. So like you still do yeah. need to be able to play, but I do think sometimes you're not trying, most of the time you're not trying to impress the conductor. You're trying to just like play well. Oh, yeah. So your stand partner knows. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. no. And that's, that's huge because often they're the earpiece Because I've literally, this literally has happened. I've been, I was in, you know, Huntsville Symphony Orchestra and the personnel manager came to me and asked, oh, how does, how did your stand partner play? Or like, how did they do? Because they were like subbing. And I was like, oh, crap. Like that's a lot of pressure, like responsibility that I'm influencing what the personnel manager thinks about my stand partner. And, you know, I was nice. Yes, yes, they're 
you know, they're doing a good job. It's really good that you brought that up because with so many moving factors like we've been talking about in the world and what success and what you learned in school, it's wonderful if you're afforded the opportunity to play for a conductor and be their favorite or be best friends with a concert master. And sometimes mm-hmm. that gets you somewhere and sometimes it really doesn't. And I think that the overarching point, you know, that I would I would stress to younger people mm-hmm. is that etiquette is everything in all areas. Yes. And that it's a balancing game because in everything, you know, mm-hmm. you know, balance is great, moderation. And it's so true because no matter the gig that you're at, you need to play your best. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always a learning experience because you can be practicing well in a gig, even if you're bored out of your mind. If you have 87,000 eighth notes in a second violin part for Mozart, you can (laughs) be practicing different strokes, like making a learning experience out of every situation, being kind, trying not to be ticked off if like the person sitting with you marks every bowing in. And is obsessive because that personally oh, irks me to know. Preach end. it. Preach <laughs> about it. Like, but you know, you know those people that are overdoing mm-hmm. it with, with everything that conductor says and Boeing. You know, there's there's just a balance yeah. to everything, and I think it's important too to remember that, no matter where you are, whether it's the gig setting, and this is something that was told to me, or the parking lot of an audition, mm-hmm. it matters how you operate and how you mm-hmm. carry yourself and what you're saying. Oh sure. And I think that's like the point to all of this i think that is totally right and not only does that go with like your actual playing etiquette and like you were saying like if you're writing your fingerings on the correct like if you're sitting on the inside you write your fingerings underneath the notes you know like not it's not just that kind of stuff but it also goes with like Mm -hmm. how you talk or don't talk about the people around you Mm -hmm. got it is a small world oh and the music world guys is even smaller and to not say bad things about the people in your orchestra or at the gig, you know, gossiping, don't do it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because you never know who you think it, it's always safe to you can talk bad about the conductor because everybody hits a conductor. But you never know <laughs> if the, your stand partner is really best friends with the conductor. And or is, if they're uh, the spouse of the person you're bad mouthing or, oh you know, the I roommate am, of the person you're bad. Mouth, like I am guilt, guilty or of the that personnel one. manager. Maybe you're bad mouthing the personnel manager to the personnel manager. I mean, like you, you yeah, never know. And like just. Sometimes the, per, you know, I'm just... Just generally not a good idea. Just watch or, out. Like, you have to really yeah. know your audience. And I, my kind of rule of thumb is make sure you're, like, out of the building if you're at least going to, like, attempt that, which is still not a great idea. Well, and if you really have to, it's probably honestly safest to, like, call your friend and be like, <laughs> dude, this person yeah. in rehearsal. Why did that happen? Because I mean, who doesn't know them? Call your yeah, friend who wasn't I, even at the gig. Like, I'm not saying like don't like vent and don't like do that because right. it's gonna happen. Like you know, there's always something just ridiculous that happens at gigs that you're gonna you have to let off some steam about. Yes, but <laughs> but be careful. Usually, somebody mm-hmm. is can overhear you when even when you think you're. Check check for for feet in the well, stalls. Just practicing kindness, like st- oh jeez, <laughs> and maybe even on a like sillier note, but really think about dating outside the music world. <laughs> because uh, if it doesn't end well, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, man, you, everybody can, knows you can you, you, you run into that person, yeah, again and again, yeah. 
That's that's a whole other. That's a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode. I can give you guys a lot of personal insight on that. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned, everybody. You're gonna get Mm -hmm. some good stuff. All right. So we are probably running close to time. We probably have time to do a quick lightning round of little things you've learned here or there uh, that you didn't learn in school. I have a I have a I have a slight list. <clears throat> let me let me why don't you why don't you start us rolling? Okay, start us All off. Right. Yeah. This is very profound, guys. I want you just to bask in the profoundness of this. Everyone get ready. Don't buy white socks. <laughs> There's no need to buy white socks. You can buy black athletic socks if you like are concerned about, you know, having socks because there is nothing looks dumber than wearing all black or concert black and you forgot to pack black socks. It looks very, very dumb. Just buy black socks and it'll save yourself a lot of headache. That's that's my profound tip. Oh, I have one along those lines. Yeah. Always double check that you have packed your pants. Uh, is that not the truth? Somebody we all know who will remain nameless <laughs> until later recently forgot his pants and had to. But luckily, another member of the orchestra had brought a second pair of pants. It's amazing. However, the how... zipper didn't work. Yeah. So the c- cummerbund <laughs> came in very handy. You had to like really sag the cummerbund. And... <laughs> this person played an, an instrument that was really helpful in uh, yeah. making sure the zipper was not seen. Okay. Cello. Cello. Um, while let's, we're on wardrobe see. talks, yeah. always bring a second dress if you're a solo performer. Yes. Ooh. Because recently I was playing a big concert and I went to zip the dress up and mm-hmm. it wasn't even like really stuck or anything and the zipper just flew to pieces. Oh. <laughs> and I could not have walked on stage like that and thank God I had a second dress. Wow. I think that there is something to be said for being prepared. Yeah. And maybe and double checking. And I was check, gonna say maybe even feeling check. overly prepared, like having the second dress, but you yeah, never it seems know. ridiculous, but it's worth it. All right, I got another one here. It's reply to offers for gigs or work, like as soon as possible. If you get an email that says, Hey, are you available to play this wedding this weekend? Yes. Absolutely. Just drop what you're doing and and reply, yes, I can do it. Thank you. Or like, no, I'm sorry. I've got something else going on. It only takes a second and it makes contractors much more happier or likely to call you again. Yes. Even if you are unable to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Still appreciate the lightning response. I would say Google the conductor so you at least know what they look like before the rehearsal. (laughs) So that way, when you're riding the elevator up to the rehearsal hall, you don't look at them and say, oh, are you playing too? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one, Christian. Did this come from a personal experience? Did you learn that one the hard way? Only happened once. That's Actually, all it takes. Again. That's all it takes. I one. just this morning Googled a conductor for a gig I have this weekend, and I am sure glad I did because given the name of this person, I was expecting to see a woman. And it <laughs> is in fact a man. And so I totally would could have said something very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And now I won't. So very yep. good point, Christian. Very good. Anybody else? Shout them out if you got a good one. Always have an eraser, guys. Ooh, yes. that's. Sometimes pencils have bad erasers on them. Mm, yeah. So, like, get get a big one. Get a big eraser or something. Oh, yeah. But, like, if have erasers. Oh, yeah. 
freestanding eraser. Yes, because oh. sometimes you have to erase literally all of the Boeing because they decide to change all of them. That That's the best. Mm-mm. My point is uh, to, wait, no, where did it go? Never, ever be late. Even the, the, the thing is like, okay, yeah, of course, like you don't want to miss you know, the start time of rehearsal. But even if there's a stupidly early call time that you know you don't have to be there that early, like they want you to be there. If they say the call time is an hour before the concert starts, you should still be there, you know, exactly when the call time is. Even if you think you don't need to be there because it still sends an impression to the contractor that you're responsible and you're going to do you know what they say and it's a the peace of mind maybe for them like maybe you don't understand why you really have to be there early because you're not going to play anything for an hour but it still is this always presenting yourself the best way you can and making the best impression when when little things like that have nothing to do with you know you could play you could be the best performer in the world but if the contractor feels that you're unreliable because you don't show up exactly when you're told to. Like, they might not want to call you. Well, and maybe going along with that is I've recently um, started playing with this, or I've been subbing with this group. And, you know, when I read the information sheet, like email that they send out, it says that, you know, this is when the rehearsal starts. And then, like, on the bottom, it says players will be in their seat five minutes prior to rehearsal, and Mm -hmm. they'll be on premise 15 minutes before rehearsal begins. Yeah. Now, last time I played with them, it's not like I sat there. I didn't see anybody, like, you know, taking time like, okay, it's five minutes before who's right. in their seat. Yeah. I didn't see that, but yeah, no, they're not going to police you. You know, like I, there was somebody who was not there and it, you know, it was not like a huge deal, but they were like, Oh man, where's that person? Like I'm just taking attendance. Yeah. So just like be aware of that. Like, especially with some of the more professional yeah. groups, you know, sometimes you need to be like there 15 minutes prior it's in their contract. So just like knowing that kind of information is really important. And so reading all those sheets and yeah. like, just like you said, making sure you're yeah. there so you have time to go wash your hands or go to the bathroom and then aren't running in 30 seconds prior to the tuning A. Yeah. All right. So is there anything kind of just in closing? If you knew these things, you would have done differently when you were in school. I think that's kind of sort of the takeaway I'm trying to find is everybody's life experience is a little different. And sometimes you have to make these mistakes to learn them. Maybe there's nothing that you regret doing that led you you know that got you to where you are today yeah i would have been completely happy with a 3.0 grade average and i could care less that i graduated magna cum laude yes yeah really because no as a music major who cares nobody ever asked you what your grade point average was i'm like i don't even i don't know how that actually applies to people who have done like dmas and stuff because i know their process is a little different Mm -hmm. but i don't think you're sending transcripts in when you're applying for jobs like you're sending in maybe your dissertation and stuff, but you're not sending no. in transcripts. No. So maybe at some on your resume, you might say your grade point average, but I don't sure, think it really. But like, yeah. Ugh, not to say that learning, learning the material isn't important, but if you can learn the material and you don't have to. Right. But, but I could have saved myself a lot of all nighters, you know, or yeah. just time cramming for things or thinking, ah, it's so important whether, you know, that I get an A on this exam. Actually, it's not like, yeah. did you learn something? Did you like what you learned? I think that's more important. Or Are like, you did you the information? Are you able to practice enough? Right. I was yeah. going to say, right. did you forget practicing so you could study for that biology right. test? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But that's what, that's what I'm saying at the age of 31. I didn't say that at 21. Right. Right. Wisdom. The, my, my last thing in closing is that 
I think so much of the music world is relational and comes from relationships that you made either while you were in school or that you made while you were at summer festival. Because the first thing like people always talk about when you say, oh, where are you from? Or did you do this festival? Is like, oh, do you know Jimmy? What's his name? And like, we all do this wanting to connect and find our network and know who knows who and and all that is built on these relationships. And if you're just only concerned about either your grades or practicing and not like getting to know people and making friendships, I think that is kind of a miss. I, so a little bit, mm-hmm. I would have taken getting to know people and, and kind of working on that skill of how to make friendships and be approachable and how to find people interesting. I would have maybe taken that a little more, bit more seriously. Not seriously, but invested in people a little bit more. I think that's valid. All right. Well, I think those are some good points. We can uh, wrap this up. I thank you all for listening. I've been Michael O'Giblin. And I'm Jessica Wiersma. I'm Christian Marshall. And I'm Anna Luce. Well, that's our show, folks. If you'd like to see all the points from our conversations today, you can find them in the show notes online at www.perservice.co forward slash three like the number and it's no spaces that's p-e-r-s-e-r-v-i-c-e dot c-o forward slash three and if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review in itunes it shouldn't take you very long and it would just mean a lot to us because it'll help other musicians just like you find our podcast and we want to hear from you What was something that you learned from being out there in the real world? You can tell us in the comments, again, at perservice.co forward slash three. Or do you have a funny story about something you learned the hard way you'd like to share with us on air? You can use the speak pipe widget on the show notes page, again, at perservice.co forward slash three. And maybe we'll use your recording on our next episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Be well and practice well.